This crucifix has been found floating on the high tide two years ago when the Aqua Grande, we call the Aqua Grande, is this big high tide that happens on November of two years ago. This is a piece I've done completely. It is a crucifix from the 18th century, carved by Giuseppe Torretti, who was a master artisan in Venice. It's very peculiar because the cross is uh, completely covered by tortoise lamina. This crucifix uh, has begun the symbol for the floating because uh, all the newspapers also outside of Italy was reporting the shot of this crucifix floating on the water. Hi, this is Sarah with another episode of Materially Speaking, where artists and artisans tell their stories through the materials they choose. In the third of our Venice series, Mike and I are meeting furniture restorer Alvise Bocanegra. It's easy to get lost in Venice, but we enjoy the rewards, finding quiet squares, a hidden walled garden, a jazz group rehearsing in a front room. After crossing the Rialto Bridge, we weave through the streets of San Polo, until we eventually find Alvise's workshop on the ground floor of the same building that he was born in. Inside, it smells of wood and linseed oil. There are busy workbenches, neat shelves of brightly colored powdered paints, and a large selection of jam jars with oils and waxes. On the back of the door is a dartboard. We've been drawn to Alvise because of his work restoring a crucifix which was found floating in the church of San Moise after the high water in November 2019. This catastrophic flood brought the second highest waters since records began in 1923. It submerged St. Mark's Square, caused enormous damage to homes and to artworks, and left two people dead. The photograph of this crucifix immersed in water was widely shared and symbolized the need to preserve the special and often sacred beauty of Venice. I asked Alvise to introduce himself. My name is Alvise. Boccanegre is my surname. My job started uh, 17 years ago with uh, the Church of San Marco in the laboratories of conservation for wood sculptures. And there I met my grandmaster, Maximilian, who teach me all the techniques for the old temperas with uh, egg tempera, milk tempera, caseina tempera. And he also introduced me in the carving of wood. And I worked for them for seven years. Then I decided to open my workshop. And at the beginning, with my own workshop, it was not easy to, uh, to start because my work uh, works on, uh, you know, you have to trust in me. So you have to make some little works, not so beautiful, just to introduce your way of doing to antique dealers and private collections and so on and it takes a long time to make it a, a real work to to live from, with i can understand because they're entrusting you with things that yeah 
you can't mess up. Uh, at the beginning, um, you have to try. I was work going around in the city and asking for the antique leaders, do you need a restore? Do you need something? Yes, work on this piece and then we see how it's done. And in time, time by time, I, I found my, my clients, my, 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 the people who trust me. Anyway, it's, it's a journey. My work is a journey very long. Every day you learn something more. So you, you never end your, your growth. You're always looking for new techniques to understand new ways of doing your, your, your job. Also because food items not always have a nice life <laughs> because uh, it's just from the 20th century that the people start to understand that the uh, wood sculptures and uh, wood furnitures were something uh, important to preserve. Uh, before, they were always painting over or just throwing it away. The frames were preserved, the stone sculpture were preserved, but the wood furniture and the wood sculpture was just used. And it, when it's over, they just throw it away. Isn't that interesting? So you, you think it's only in the last century, really, yeah. that people have appreciated Yeah, just maybe 150 years, something like that, no more. Except for the big, you know, like church, furniture, something like that was preserved anyway. But, you know, the, the furniture in the house of the people, the sculptures that uh, people, also the sculpture of the churches, were not preserved. Just painted over when it changed the time, changed the styles, and they painted for make it different for the new style, for the new period. And so when yeah, we work on these items, they are always full of problems. And so you, every day you have to learn something to, to find the way out. You're Venetian? Yeah. So where were you born? I'm, I'm Venetian, but I was born in Asolo, near Treviso. But uh, I came here that I was like one year old. Uh, living here in the second floor. Of where we're standing now. Yeah, 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 exactly. After I went out uh, of my house and I've been living always in Venice, but I'm somewhere else. Then I came back into my family house when I was 25, 26 years old. And I'm living here till so, that time. Gosh. And so what's it like living in Venice, being brought up in Venice? It's very, it's very peculiar, you know, uh, Venice is very different from everywhere, uh, you know, there are no cars, you're always by walking, and the thing that, when somebody asks me what's the difference of living in Venice, I always use this story to make understand, there is not your house, the whole city is your house, because when you're walking through the city, you are always by feet and you always met people and everything you do by day, by night, uh, when you are younger, when you are older and so on, every part of the city has memories of your life. So, you know, I feel at home when I just see the lagoon. It's just like home. I don't need to come back inside my house. Everything is familiar. Everywhere is familiar. Because you spent your life in all the streets, in all the squares. 
One funny thing is if you want to go from one, one point to another in the city, you are never in time because you met everybody. <laughs> so you have to stop to talk to everybody. Everybody knows you. Hi, how are you? Where are you going? So you are always late. <laughs> always. Not just because you get lost. No, no, <laughs> like, not because I'm... you don't get lost. So can we go back to what you did until you became a craftsman? Right before beginning, I was studying for um, chemistry for restoration. I just studied for two years and it has been useful for me because it gave me a way to understand how materia uh, interact with the external, you know, sunlight, rain and how it gets ruined. I was a computer technician, hardware and software, uh, going house by house, uh, working on computer, yeah. After I decided it was not my way, I, I don't like it anymore. And is it a family thing, this work? My grandfather was um, an artisan of Stucchi and Marmorino. You know Stucchi, the decoration made of gypsums. Okay. And the Marmorino is the, the finishing of the walls made by lime and uh, powder of marble and a really ancient technique used also by Romans and so on for because it's very uh, durable and is uh, very resistant to external elements like sun and rain and so on and my grandfather worked for big architects in Italy and not only in Italy but when I opened my own workshop I decided that I have to interact only with one element, just wood, was my, my choice. And so I started my way on uh, to find uh, all the techniques and only about uh, what has been done on wood, or all the techniques of the painting on wood, the gilding on wood. At the beginning, my family wasn't so happy about that. You know, you, you wrong everything, artisans doesn't live anymore. I said, no, it's my way, I like to work on... Uh, it's my way, I like it. And then I started on furnitures, because I was only working on sculptures before. Sculptures, I mean, frames and chandeliers, everything made of wood, but painted mm -hmm. or gilded, not uh, just wood, like a furniture. The materials you use on the wood is different because to carve wood, you need a wood that can be carved. Sorry. Oh, you got a hammer as a ring tone. Yeah. It's a great ring tone. <laughs> it's fine, nobody has it. Uh, <laughs> you know, if you have to carve wood, you need a, a wood that can be carved. So when you don't need it to be seen, the wood, so you have to, to paint it over or to make a gold gilding. You use soft wood like uh, uh, Cirmolo, I think is Swiss pine. Okay. Uh, that it used uh, almost in the North Italy. Uh, then you can use uh, lime wood that is really soft. It's used for making carvings with uh, little details. So these are the woods that are softer, and if you're not going to yeah. see them at the end, if you're yeah. going to paint them, then these are the yeah. easier exactly. ones for yeah. carving. Also the paper wood, poplar, 
Mm-hmm. It's pioppo in Italiano. Pioppo is very used also for the, the sculptures that need to be bring in procession because oh. it's very light wood. So you can find the crosses of the crucifix made of poplar because it's very light. Other way, if you have to carve wood that has to be seen, like the furnitures of the churches and so on, you have to carve hard wood like uh, walnut. In Italy, quietly everywhere is uh, walnut. Uh, if you go to Austria, you find chestnut. In France, is oak. Uh, also in the north Italy, in northwest of Italy, you can find oak and uh, chestnut. Is not really hard wood. It's between. It could be hard and not. It depends on where it grows. Really? Yeah. So where they? So the same wood, the same tree will be yeah, different. Yeah, yeah. All the woods is like that. Really? Yeah. If they grow very slow, maybe for you know they don't have so much sun or not so much water. If they grow very slowly, the wood would be very compact, and so it becomes very strong, very hard. And if a tree grows very fast because all the condition is good and the wood would be uh, a little bit more softer. Mm-hmm. For all the woods is, uh, is the same. So I noticed in the corner you have what looks like a little bookcase. With instead of books, there are little slices of wood. So yeah. can you tell me about this? Uh, it started from just uh, the idea comes from my master because uh, it's not easy to understand uh, uh, of which wood the, the items you are working on is done. So the easier way to understand it is to compare it. So uh, you have your item on restoration and you have a, a piece of wood, you exactly know what it is. And then you compare the, the veins and the grain and you understand what you can understand what kind of wood is it. And from there started my wood case. <laughs> and I started to collect them, all the woods I found by myself, by, you know, going outside in, in the countryside and so on. And then I start asking to friends of mine, they maybe they're going to Brazil or in Africa. And I told them, bring me a piece of wood from where you go. And so I start collecting also exotic woods and some of them are so strong that you have to change the, the blade of your chisels because it gets broken. You, you cannot carve with normal chisels. Some of them, the exotic one, got um, sand dust inside the grain because they live in very sandy ground. That's amazing. Yeah. And another difference between sculpted and uh, varnished wood is uh, all the the tools you use for to work on them because uh, the the furniture needs a, a lot of tools and for the restoration of ancient furniture, not contemporary, is quietly everything made by hand. There are no m- machines that can help you. So I'm going to buy and look in on the internet to find uh, tools also from the 19th century. Wood planes and chisels. There are some of them very very particular that you have to have them to make that job. You you can do it in other ways. 
So yeah, I've been looking for uh, wood planes all over the world. I just bought one from Australia. <laughs> yeah, because nobody uses them anymore. Just me. Everybody wants them because uh, they are uh, collectibles. Because very, very rare, very particular, and they want the, the tool just to collect it. Other way, I need it to work. So I'm looking for them for a good price. And in Italy, in Europe, are very expensive because all the collectors want it. So I found it out in Australia for a very cheap price. <laughs> it took some months to arrive, but now I got it. <laughs> the tools are the same everywhere. You know, a little bit different is for the uh, China and Japanese woodworking. I've been in Japan a few years ago and I've been looking for some of them tools because they are very, very good tools, but they have to be used in different way of the European tools. You know, just stupid example. The, the European saw, you use it pushing. And other way, the, the Japanese saw is used pulling because there is a different concept, it's a different way of working because quite all the artisans works uh, sitting and so they use different movement we work standing so our body is the weight to move the saw and stand they use the muscle of the of the back to pull the, the saw the furnitures you got a lot to learn about the varnishes you can find quite everything for paintings but for furnitures you can it's very difficult to find out something because nobody wrote down nothing in the years in the centuries I've been doing my own uh, researches and I found out a, a book of an artisan of the 18th century from Tuscany that wrote for a duca uh, all the, the receipt for the, the vernishes for making something so on, but it's very hard to understand. And often the... The materials, the varnishes that he used, are not anymore, you can't find it anymore. Can I ask you maybe to talk about one of the pieces that you've done in the yeah. last few years? It is a crucifix from the 18th century, carved by Giuseppe Torretti, who was a master artisan in Venice. And it is very peculiar because the cross is uh, completely covered by tortoise lamina. Tortoise shell. Yeah, but it's not, it's not tortoise shell. Is uh, The tortoise shell has worked to be laminated. It's very, very thin. So I'm very stretched. ignorant. Oh, okay, they stretch. So you they... know, like in jewelry, you have a, a metal sheet and you have to pass through the... Is the machine. Like a roller machine. Though. Yeah, to make it thinner. Uh-huh. It's the same work, but with a tortoise shell. Wow. So I don't know. I tried because I found some pieces of tortoise and I tried to do it myself because I want to understand how they do that. Because if you know how they do that, you can restore it. So this piece was floating in the lagoon? No, it was floating inside the church when the Aqua Grande, we call the Aqua Grande, is this big high tide went inside the church. Also inside here, there was 25 centimeters of water. Oh, gosh. Yeah, it was very, very high. You see, there is a, a big step for coming here. Two steps to go outside. So if you were walking, the water was like here. So this was 2019, November? November 
2019, yeah. yeah. 2019, the 13th of November. Just yeah. before the pandemic. Yeah. So how did you approach this project? Was it just you working on it or was it I'm a team? always just me. I'm always by myself. I'm the only one working inside here. So this crucifix, why did it need restoring? This crucifix uh, has begun the symbol for the floating because uh, all the newspapers also outside of Italy was reporting the shot of this crucifix floating on the water. Here in Venice we got like I, that I can remember four or five crucifix made of uh, tortoise, but it was used in that century to make uh, like frames and mirrors made of this uh, lamina of the tortoise. And uh, behind the tortoise is uh, gilded with gold leaf. So in the white uh, spots of the tortoise, you see the gold behind shining. This is a, a part of the edge of one branch of the, of the cross. And we have the molded wood. Then on the molded wood, we have a paper glued on, directly on the, on the wood. And then we have uh, the shaped tortoise shell. Uh, to shape it, it has to be boiled in water. And then you, it becomes very soft, like a tissue. And you put it over this mold wood and you let it stay there till it's cold. And when it is cold, it, it preserves the, the shape. And then you have to gild the inside of the tortoise, but not using the same glue for, that you use for the paper. I used uh, what I think uh, it was been used in the original one. And it is a glue called uh, olio resina that it is oil and pine resin. Linseed oil. Linseed oil. This is a very strong glue for the gilding. It was used also for the gilding of iron and the gilding of marbles and stones. And then you have the two pieces, the tortoise gilded on the inside and the wood with the paper. And then you glue them together with the bone glue that it is uh, the most used in history glue for furniture and wood. So you have to keep the bones at like 50, 60 degrees for a very long time uh, till the, the glue from the bones, the proteins from the, the bones comes out and fill the water. Then you have to reduce the water and you have to glue. And it, it is really strong, like a stone. <laughs> All the edges are made of mother of pearl. These are all pieces of mother of pearl covered and glued on the cross and fixed with nails of silver with a sphere head. Can you tell me a little bit about mother of pearl? A mother of pearl is a shell. This one was particularly difficult to work on that because some little pieces, few pieces were missing. And so I have to make it the new one. And uh, today it's, you can find only very, very thin mother of pearl shells. So I've been going through antique dealers to find uh, um, old stuff made of mother of pearl to cut them and make the new pieces. <laughs> it's not easy to find it very thick. thick. And why is that? Do, do we know why it's thinner now than it used to be? I think that the very thick one is um, are protected. 
like the tortoise, you can you can mm. work it mm. anymore. You have just to work on something you find already on the on antique dealers and so on. On so how big is it? Just to get my head round, how big was the crucifix? Oh, it's two meters. All the cross, not the the, the Christ, but all the cross was two meters and sixty. Yeah, two meters and sixty centimeters high. And the Christ instead was like uh, one meter sixty, one meter forty, like something like that. The Christ was uh, covered in um, the soft pine wood I told you before, and it is completely empty inside to make it lighter because it, it is a processional, yes, to oh. be carried. Mm -hmm. And also the cross is empty inside, and the Christ is. Uh, made it of a lot of slices of wood to prevent the moving and the cracking of the wood. And uh, the finishing is a varnish, a brown red varnish, to make it appear the wood like a, a bosso. Bosso is a precious wood used for smaller Christ with a very beautiful color. Box wood maybe is the English word. And what sort of condition was it when it came to you? Before we went to the church and the Christ has been uh, put it in the in a second floor, not warmed, just with the the temperature was the outside temperature. There was no uh, nothing to warm it, and it's been left there for six months to dry up very slowly because if you make it dry very quickly the wood can move and the Christ can crack everywhere or you know the cross can bend then we went to the church we bring in here by boat and little by little just glue it together the the broken parts and then start to understand how to work on the, the tortoise so you have to understand how to clean it, how to make it shiny again. Then all the uh, mother of pearl pieces, thousands of them, <laughs> from the front uh, and so behind, everywhere is made of mother of pearl. And then one by one has been cleaned and polished again. And uh, I collaborated with the uh, jewelry to clean up and to make uh, new nails because some of them were broken and also because they have uh, equipment to clean up the silver in the right way. Then I started to make the new parts, the, the missing parts of uh, uh, Mother of Pearl, working with... Um, chisels? <laughs> no chisels, these are files. Files, yes. Yeah, because you know, before you sew it, and then you have to carve it with the files. You cannot carve it with the chisels. It's a jewelry tools. And that was for making the holes for the nails, perhaps, was it? For the holes on the nails and also to make the very uh, small carving on, on the on the single element. So um, wow. you have to find out the way to, to do it. <laughs> and what were the missing parts? Did some bits go missing completely? Some of the mother, some piece of mother of pearl was missing, but few of them. 
and on the Christ uh, there was a finger on the, one hand was broken and uh, the contact with the high tide with the water uh, melted the the glues so the the lower part uh, the one that has been for a longer time in contact with the water the glues were melted the furniture that is used to make it stand was completely destroyed because the church where the crucifix is to also today is the San Moise church and is very low on the sea level so every year the high tide flows inside not so much to make the Christ fall in the water but the furniture every year goes under the water so it was really damaged the decoration of the basement of these furnitures was completely missing or rotten so I needed to make new one with the same shape same wood and same techniques uh, to make the, the the furnitures come back to be used everything has been paid by the venetian heritage mm-hmm. how did it feel what was the experience of doing this restoration and very beautiful very beautiful because i've been it took a long time, months of work, and trying to do something you have never done before is always very exciting for me. And to improve myself with tortoise and uh, the mother of pearl has been very interesting. It's been... I learned a lot. And was this during the pandemic that you were doing it? So Yeah. So no, the- because... I. For me, it was quite easy because I live on the second floor over my workshop. So I don't have to go out of my house <laughs> to work. <laughs> so I just was at house, at home, closing up uh, with a lockdown so on. So I came down and worked in my workshop and then came back to my family. Did you love the piece? Yeah, of course. Una mostra, una exposición, an exposition, yes, in a show, <laughs> in a show. Uh, for one year. Almost one year has been in um, Palazzo Grimani uh, to be seen by visitors, the, all the restored crucifix. And also this publication has been done. And then uh, last November, the 13th, two years after, the Christ came back to the church. And there has been a, a presentation with all the priests and the chorus. Very nice. <laughs> I have a question, which is, what are people thinking about now? What kind of concerns do you have with the people in your community? Venice is a, is like a museum now. So it's not really in a good condition. It's not, it's not so easy to live here. In one way, it is the perfect place to live. In another way, it's quite impossible to live here because the services are missing and so you have to find your way of let it work you have to manage to you know so also for my work for the the things i use materials that i use for my work uh, there is maybe one shop in all the city where i can buy the bone glue and it's very expensive (laughs) and the water level how how and what is being done to make sure there's no more outer water? Or is it... There is the mose. The mose is this 
this is very particular in word, in word paratia. It's like a floating doors that close when the tides get high. And where are they? In all the Bocche di Porto. Venice inside the lagoon, and then there is Lido, then it is between the lagoon and the sea. You have these two holes that makes the sea comes into the lagoon. And in these two channels have been uh, built uh, these floating doors. What are they made of? Metal. Metal. Yeah. They get inflated and they rise from the the ground underwater and they comes up and close the channels to reduce the amount of water that comes inside the lagoon when the tide is high. They start using this uh, mose right after the high tide of the 2019. To make it, they had to dig the ground under the sea. And the mose works, but another problem is that it is very, very, very expensive to to make it rise, to close the, the channels, like hundreds thousand of euros every time. Well, coming back to your work, are there young artisans following in your footsteps in yes. Venice? And no. I explain. Uh, some of them are interested about this kind of uh, work. But uh, uh, as I told you before, it takes a long time to understand how to do this work. And uh, everybody wants to earn money quickly. And they don't want to uh, wait to have the... When I began, it took me like three years before I start uh, earning something from this work. And in the same time, I was uh, fixing computers to, to live, to pay the rent, to pay my food and so on. Taking on an apprentice is an expense for an artisan. It's and very expensive because expensive. if I have to make one job, one item, it takes me, you know, one week. If I took someone that works here and I have to pay him to make the work, it took three weeks to make the same work. And so I spend more time for make one piece and also I have to pay somebody else. You can manage. It's impossible. If you were to encourage a young artisan, what would you say is the most enjoyable bit of the job for you? Because you obviously love it. Everything. There is not one thing. <laughs> we were talking about an artisan and just a few days ago with friends. You know, you don't make the artisan, you are an artisan. It's just your way of living. I'm, when I close my workshop and I go home, uh, I'm still working. I'm also I, if I'm not here. Uh, it's something you feel it. You just uh, get relaxed if you think how to do for your work. It's not something that makes you tired and you, you feel anxious. You know, you feel relaxed. You know. Just before sleeping, I'm just thinking tomorrow maybe I can do this for solve the problem on that item, you know. And one thing to say is that if you make your way on restoration, you can work and touch and understand 
masterpieces that the people normally can only see from distance. <laughs> you can learn so much more than just seeing them. So thanks to Alvise Bocanegra. You can discover more about him from our website, materiallyspeaking.com, and see photos on Instagram. If you're enjoying Materially Speaking, please subscribe to our newsletter so we can let you know when the next episode goes live. Thank <laughs> you.